Welcome to this special edition of What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, recorded at the Cornet Global Podcast Parlor in Madrid, Spain, Jan Johnson and Jeff Leitner discuss how the powerful unwritten rules of social norms can influence our behavior. Hi, I'm Jan Johnson, and I'm with All Steel. I'm the Vice President of Design and Workplace Resources and sort of the resident director of a workplace strategy firm within All Steel. And my guest speaker today is Jeff Leitner, who is not from the industry, but has this amazing uh, information to share with us about social norms and some other topics we think is directly applicable to our industry. Hi. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you all. Uh, so you're surrounded in every part of your life by invisible forces that shape your behavior. I get that this sounds crazy like science fiction, forces that influence how you behave whenever you're around other people, how you act, and what you say in life's most important or least consequential moments. But they're not fantastical or supernatural. In fact, they're perfectly normal and quite natural, and we've known about them for at least 2,500 years. But before Jan and I talk about what they are, let's look at them in action. Remember when you took that special someone home to meet your family for the first time? It was the first introduction of your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, or your wife, and as you're pulling up to the house or the restaurant or your cousin's wedding, you turn to him or her and you say, look, my family is weird. Whatever you do, don't do this, or you must do that. I'll go first. I have a 19-year-old daughter, and I asked her what she tells guys before she brings them home, and she says she warns them to be sociable and outgoing. She says, even if you're uncomfortable and don't know what to say, say something. Because if you don't, my parents will think you're boring, and if they think you're boring, they won't like you. And then she tells them, if they don't like you, they'll probably wear me down, and then I won't like you. I, for one, am not crazy about being described as judgmental, but there you go. And in my family, the perspective test was coming home with me to decorate the Christmas cookies, which was a major ritual in my house. My mother would make 40 different batches starting in September. And the ones, though, that we would decorate together as a family was the, the, big, the big deal. They were little thin sugar cookies. My mother would ice them very carefully after they would cool. And then there'd be this whole ritual around sitting at the dining room table and decorating them with colored sugar. And the deal was that she would put them on our dinner plates, and then there would be a series of small glass bowls spread around the table, each with a different colored sugar in them, and then one would be very careful and pick a very judicious amount of that sugar and sprinkle it artfully on the cookie. And so the deal was, though, that if you were clumsy or you gooped stuff on or you kind of went overboard or you mixed the sugars together, you were never invited back. And the same like Jeff, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like a terrible sort of judgy thing, but... In part, it was a bit of a test of can you handle being situationally aware of what the rules are inside my household and and fit in and kind of get along and work this out and and sort of be self-aware enough to know how to get along. So the invisible forces that Jan and I just talked about, these things that surround you all day are unwritten rules. There are thousands of these in your life, and they shape your behavior everywhere, at home, at work, and everywhere in between. And they are more powerful than all the other things that influence your behavior. They are more powerful than official rules like laws or company policies or even posted speed limits. In most U.S. states, for example, the speed limit on a highway is somewhere between 55 and 70 miles an hour. And how fast are you supposed to drive? Is it between 55 and 70 miles an hour? Of course not. The right answer is about the same speed as everyone around you. 
if the speed limit is 70 and you drive by a police officer going 75 while everybody else is going 75, nothing will happen. The unwritten rule wins. And unwritten rules are more powerful than biology and brain chemistry. They are more powerful than your pathology, your childhood, your personality type, and even your horoscope. And unwritten rules are a more intuitive explanation of what you do than behavioral economics. It's possible, of course, that you're doing a complex cost-benefit analysis before speaking up in a staff meeting, but it's more likely that you're reacting to your organization's unwritten rules about who should speak, who shouldn't, and the price you pay for getting it wrong. In fact, these unwritten rules are so buried deep inside you that even the idea of violating them causes you stress. I'll show you. Close your eyes for a moment. Now imagine pushing the button for the elevator. We'll wait a minute for it to arrive. Ding, it's here. The door opens and there are a handful of people already on board. You push the button for the lobby and then you do what everybody does. You turn around and face the door. But this time, just to shake things up, you don't turn around. You just stand there and face everybody on the elevator. You smile, you smile your best smile, and you just stand there and look at them all the way down to the lobby. Uncomfortable, right? You didn't like it, and I promise you, your liftmates didn't like it. You violated an unwritten rule about elevators. The rule isn't posted in a single elevator in the world, and yet everybody knows you're supposed to turn around and face the door. These unwritten rules are unbelievably powerful, and yet nobody ever talks about them. In fact, we think unwritten rules are the reason behind some of the big mysteries in business. For example, the business press has widely reported that 70% of all change initiatives fail. Think about that. Seven out of ten times that we get leadership on the same page, survey our employees, design a strategy, and spend thousands or millions of dollars on change management consultants, we strike out. It's because of minefields we can't see, unwritten rules that actually dictate how our organizations run, and because of that, how our organizations change. An even more expensive mystery is the failure rate of mergers and acquisitions, which is as high as 90%. That means that smart, serious people spend years negotiating every possible detail of a deal, spend millions of dollars on consultants and accountants, and almost never get it right. Sometimes the problem is bad information, and of course other times the problem is stupid expectations. But most of the time the problem is a mismatch of culture and how things get done, which are both all about unwritten rules. Now, in our industry, we've seen headlines um, as, as interesting as one on ABC News, my personal favorite, that says, Open Plan, Satan's Handiwork. And it's being just denigrated all over the press these days. But it, it is an indication, much like the, the two statistics that Jeff quoted, that we're getting it wrong. And there's lots of reasons that can happen, but I think a lot of it has to do with this disconnect that Jeff's pointed out between what we expect to happen and what we think we are communicating when we issue edicts, but what the reality is about the way people behave inside the organization and whether that's aligned with or not aligned with what the organization is thinking they tried to do with the workplace design they gave us. So our industry clearly can benefit from knowing more about this dynamic Jeff is describing and making it a part of the way we think about making change inside the organization that's hired us. So what are unwritten rules? They're unspoken, informal guidelines that tell you how to behave in social situations. They aren't about what you think or what you feel. They're about how you act and what you say. Think of unwritten rules as very specific codes of conduct for the dozens or hundreds of times a day that you're around other people. I'm going to give you five things to remember 
about how they work. One, they are serious directives. They are not casual suggestions or rules of thumb. They have been the tool of choice for organizing and managing groups of people for about 200,000 years. From the very earliest human societies until 1754 BC, all rules were unwritten rules. That's when King Hammurabi of Mesopotamia dictated the first written rules. There were 282 of them, including some classics like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And in about 600 BC, somebody wrote down the rules in Leviticus, a book in the Jewish Torah and the Christian Old Testament. Leviticus has 613 rules, ranging from really serious, like no lying, to kind of odd, like no mixing fabrics in your clothing. That may appear to be a lot of rules, the 282 in Hammurabi's Code and the 613 in Leviticus, but neither of those are nearly enough to run a small kingdom and probably not enough to keep peace in a mid-sized business. To coexist with other people, particularly strangers, you need a lot of direction. Two, unwritten rules are the code for official rules. So it turns out that written rules and unwritten rules have a surprising relationship. In the 3,700 years since Hammurabi jotted down the first written rules, there's been, been an explosion of formal rules. In just the past 200 years, think about it, you've been loaded down with constitutions, laws, ordinances, criminal codes, civil codes, company policies, student handbooks, user agreements, and even the rules that come with your Monopoly game. At any moment, you are subject to tens of thousands of written rules, most of which you are completely unaware of. Well, this turns out not to be a problem thanks to unwritten rules. Rather than follow all these written rules, you just follow the ones we've agreed to follow. Number three, you learn unwritten rules by watching. Every now and then, somebody might tell you the unwritten rules, like when you're about to meet their family for the first time. But most of the time, you learn unwritten rules by observing other people. Whether you're aware of it or not, you're constantly scanning other people's behavior and adjusting to your, your instincts about how to act, what to say, how to dress, whether to sing out loud on a bus, take your shoes off on an airplane, scold your children in public, or hug a stranger. It turns out this is a huge evolutionary advantage. Other animals are dependent on biological evolution, which generally takes hundreds of years to make big changes. But human beings, with all of our scanning and adapting, take advantage of sociological evolution. It's a big reason why we, and not lizards or elephants, invented science and why we can join Cornet. Number four, unwritten rules are hacks. Unwritten rules begin life as hacks, as workarounds. Something doesn't work for us, so we come up with various ways to fix it. One of those ways gets adopted, and it spreads from person to person, from group to group, and ultimately from society to society. These hacks show up in one of two environments. One, where there are lots and lots of written rules, way more than you can possibly keep up with. As I told you before, you use unwritten rules to sift through written rules and decide what to care about or pay attention to. The other environment where hacks show up is where there are no written rules at all. Think Lord of the Flies, the British novel from the 1950s, in which a group of boys are stranded on an uninhabited island. Sure, things took an ugly turn. There was a bit of torture and killing. But if there are no rules about what to do in social situations, we always create them and hold each other accountable for following them. Number five, there are social responses that keep you in line. You don't need police to reinforce unwritten rules. You just have to exploit the fact that we're social creatures. We think we're individualists, particularly in the West, particularly in the U.S. But all of us dress about the same, wear our hair about the same, 
talk about the same, buy the same things, eat the same foods, and follow the same customs. That's okay. It's not a weakness, it's biology. While we're the dominant creature on Earth now, we're relatively puny and weak, and we're at great risk of being wiped out by big mammals for a long, long time. Our ability to coordinate our behaviors is what saved us, and now it's what allows us to build companies, cities, and societies. But because we're social creatures, we do not like to be alone. And when we're with other people, we don't like to be ostracized. We're so sensitive to being shunned or snubbed that you don't have to do much to keep us in line. You just have to glare or look away if somebody doesn't turn around in an elevator. And you just have to smile ever so slightly or make brief eye contact with somebody who does the right thing, like take their place at the end of the line. So it was interesting for us to bring this to you because we saw it as a way to make us smarter about really understanding the impact of what we're trying to design and and how to help the organization to realize its intentions because unwritten rules need to be more consistent with those intentions. And so while we've historically done change management and made a lot of edicts um, and brought the tablets down from the mountaintop, that's not necessarily the way organizations actually work. Jeff's explained that rather well. So some of the things that we've thought about is, um, yes, for all the things that we officially communicate, there's a whole other layer of stuff that the organization's sort of going to develop on its own or create as workarounds to the things that management tells us we need to do differently. And some of this will be constructive and helpful to the original cause, and some of it might actually be somewhat dysfunctional. And so part of our opportunity as workplace strategists is to try to help bring some of that to consciousness and help perhaps disrupt the dysfunctional ones and replace them with unwritten rules that just work better and are more aligned. And so I think the opportunity for us is to, is to take this information from Jeff and some of the other um, sciences that we're trying to bring to, the, to Cornet and to use that to just make us smarter and better able to help our clients do what it is they actually intend to do. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.